It is good. The Bible said it is good to praise the Lord. It's good, it's good for you. All right, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 138. We're going to talk about heart worship tonight. Heart worship. Psalm 138, great passage on heart worship. You ever heard of worship before? We have a problem when I say that word. <clears throat> yep, you notice something in American culture that words are shifting meanings over time. You know what I mean by that? I'll never forget the first time a little young fellow, teenage boy, was showing me his car. He said, it's bad, preacher. I said, won't you take it back? He said, what? I said, take it back. If it's bad, take it back. He said, no, it's bad. I said, y'all heard that. Take it back. When I was a boy, when I grew up, bad meant not good. Well, somewhere in the night, somebody changed it to where bad means good. Leaves me confused. I had a family visit our church a little while back, and I was talking to him, saw him afterwards visiting, and, and the preacher, I said, was glad you here. He said, man, I said, preacher, you're the bomb. I said, bomb? When I grew up, bomb was a piece of junk car nobody wanted to drive. I go pick up Bland Hathcock's daughter. He said, you ain't taking her nowhere in that bomb. So he gave me the keys to his wife's new Monte Carlo. He drove us fine by me. It was his gas, not mine. Or bomb meant you'd failed miserably, like a, poly, I mean, a comedian who bombed, or it's something that blew up. I thought, which one do I want to be? Apparently, bomb means good now. What are y'all doing to me? Well, I get out of school, I learn all this stuff. Well, let me tell you, words change. Right, let me, I'm going to test you. I say the word worship comes to your mind. If it had something to do with music, that ain't good. Worship in America, you say the word worship has come to mean music, certain type of music. It's not worship. You can use music if you want to sometimes. Worship doesn't have nothing to do with music, according to the Bible. The biblical definition, let's just read the first verse. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the God, I will, gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple. Of course, this is David writing this. There's the definition of worship from heaven, from the Bible. Worship is adoration and affection for our great father expressed because of who he is or what he's done. Three things. It is adoration and affection and gratitude to our father because of who he is or what he's done. That's worship. It might have music in it. it might, you might use music, but you can have Christian music and it's not worship. And the Bible says we can worship with singing. That's the object of the singing in worship is to express heart gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise to our great Father because of who he is and what he's done. But the Bible also talks about ways you, you can worship that are not music. Mm-hmm. You can speak, right. and they declare, they said out loud, great is the Lord. That's not singing, that's just speaking. You can do it physically. I will lift my hands unto the Lord and worship him. I'll let it come let us bow before the Lord and worship. You can do it physically. But we got to get off this thing about worship being music. We got to get back to what worship is according to the Bible. Let me, let me just quote about Abraham's worship. You remember when our Heavenly Father told Abraham, take your son, your only son, take him up on top of that mountain and offer him as a sacrifice to me. You remember that? It's one of the most tender stories in the Bible. Abraham and the servant, they traveled, they got to the foot of the mountain. He told the servant, you stay here. He said, I and the lad go yonder to worship. There was no music on that mountain. Wasn't no guitar or no instrument, nothing. What was he doing? How was that worship? Well, your definition of worship needs to change. He was expressing his love for God. He was expressing his love for God and for who he was and what he'd done. And he gave the greatest expression you can give of it. 
He was ready to sacrifice his son because of his great love for God. So worship is expressed affection. And listen to me. It's got to be expressed. There's nowhere in the Bible it's not expressed. I've heard people say, well, God knows my heart. You don't know the word. It's got to be expressed. You've got to say it, physical, do something. It's got to come out. Worship is the outward expression of a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving to him for who he is and, uh, and what he's done. And, of course, this, um, this is written by the greatest worshiper that ever lived. This is the only man ever called a man after God's own heart. We need to study this man. Come on. We need, the Bible is a book to help you get to know God, but it's, about, it's a book about people. Right. And it's about the people God chose. And I love that because mm-hmm. God chooses people that other people don't choose. Yeah. And he loves things in people that churches don't love. Yeah. And things don't bother him that bother churches. That really, I like that. Because I love to jack religious people up. It's one of my favorite hobbies is to aggravate religious people. Where did David learn how to do this worship thing of God? Where he learned it at? Not in church, not in public. He learned it in private. Yeah. Sitting out on them hillsides. Yep. Staring at the glory of God. Mm. And he learned how to talk to God in private. For years he learned to get to know God in private before he ever did anything publicly. But he did worship in public, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did he worship in front of the whole country? Yeah. Yeah. But he was very dignified, wasn't he? No. No. <laughs> no. Matter of fact, his old lady got so mad at him. Her name was Michael. I wouldn't be married to a woman named Michael anyway. And the Bible said David got so excited about the goodness of God, it said he danced violently before the Lord, led the people in music and worship and praise. He danced violently. He whirled. And the Bible said he wore a linen ephod. Most powerful man in the world wears a white T-shirt. Picture of his humility before God. He didn't care what anybody thought. Well, buddy, he, he got done with that great service. He goes back to the house. She met him at the door. She railed on him. She said, how dignified. Look, the king in front of the people. You look like some kind of base heathen out there. She lit off on him because of his heart, passionate worship of God in front of everybody. Didn't even have his crown on. She was mad about him not wearing the right hat. And uh, he said to her, it was before the Lord. And he said, furthermore, the people that you're bothered about seeing me, I was held in esteem in their eyes. And then he went on to say this, I shall be further undigging. You know what that meant? You just wait till I get to church Wednesday night, I'll show you how to really dance. <laughs> he said, I will be further undignified in their sight. Last verse in that passage says this, she bore no children until the day of her death. What has that got to do with this? I'm going to tell you something. You walk in pride and you look down your nose at people, nothing will come through you from God. You're not going to bear no fruit. And he was just the most passionate worshiper. And he was, he was, but let me tell you about, this was the world's most powerful leader. You know, pomp and circumstance. Not with him. He was also a very childlike man. He was very humble in spirit, very childlike. He didn't, today in Christian circles, preachers try to figure God out and explain him. You know what David said? I do not concern myself with things too deep for me. I don't trouble myself with things over my head. I have settled my soul and laid my head against the heart of God like a child lays his head against his mama. He said, I'm not trying to figure things out. I'm just going to worship God for his goodness. There's a hard attitude, and the king loved this so much. It's the heart of worship expressed in verse 1. I will praise you with my what? With my instrument? With my perfect song? With the disco lights flying? And what? What's the issue of worship with God? What is this? I'll praise you with my... Where's worship come from? It can come through the vocal cords, but where's the, heart of, where's the seat of worship? The heart. Worship with your heart. And this is, this is what, what are you going to give him? What are you going to give him? So I'll perfect my song. Angels beat me and you pieces. I can't keep up with an angel. 
What are you going to give him, a pocket knife? He's got one. He's got everything. What's the one thing we can give him that he longs for? Heart adoration and worship. Heart love expressed in worship. Great problem has uh, happened then in the day of Jesus and today. Turn with me and look at it in Mark chapter 7. We're going to come back to Psalm 138. Mark chapter 7 is one of the great problems with church services. And Jesus nailed it down. Uh, what, what is the craziest thing to me in reading the Gospels about God and the life of Jesus? So many of the things that we're so upset about, he couldn't care less about. And so many of the things that he was so concerned about, we don't care about. We got to, re, we got to reboot. Mark chapter 7, uh, Jesus is having a discussion with preachers. And he said this in verse uh, 6. And they're talking about church and, you know, all this stuff. Jesus answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Did he just call the preachers hypocrites? Yeah. Let me ask you, what's a hypocrite? Well, he's fixing to define it. Watch this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. He said, you come to church? You sing your songs? You've got great music? He said, where's your heart? You know what he said? You're going through the motions. You're just singing music. Wow. Maybe you like the music. Maybe you like that. I hear people say, I love the music. Well, I don't mean, that's not what we're here for. We're not here for music. We're here for Jesus. Yeah. We're here to worship him from the heart. The music is a medium. It's just a tool. But he said, he said, you come to church and you sing your songs and you do. He said, but I'm looking in your heart. Your heart, your heart doesn't beat and throb. It's like a man says to his wife, I love you. I love you, honey. And he's got a, got a woman on the side. He He's, he's, he's going through the motions. He's, he's saying it with his lips, but it's not with his heart. So what Jesus says, you, you know, you're singing, but it's not, I don't hear your heart. All right, this ought to tell me and you something what? I say, man, did you hear how good she can sing? Who gives a rip how good somebody can sing? According to that verse, and according to Psalm 138.1, I don't think he listens to your voice. Man looks on the outward appearance, including the voice, 1 Samuel 16, but God looks on the heart. I've seen great Christian singers get up, and they had great voices, but I could tell... That was talent right there. And I could tell you, was tra- you're trying to impress people. And then I've seen folks couldn't sing for another. I watched an old man one time, barely able to, was on a, a walker, but he got up there best he could and held on that pulpit. He sung Old Rugged Cross. His voice was terrible, but the tears ran down his face. And I guarantee you, his heart moved the heart of God. Because he looks on the heart. Now, people are nervous. Well, I don't, I don't sing very good. He's not looking at your voice. He's not listening to your voice. Don't worry about the other people. He's listening to the heart. And everybody's heart can sing. Do you know you can sing with your mouth and sing with your heart? Why does the Bible say in Ephesians 5, 18, making melody in your heart to the Lord? Yeah. You can sing to him with your heart. And I think heart's the issue of that thing right there. And then they got in all kinds of, all right, what did Jesus say? I don't want you to go to church because it's time to go to church. I don't want you to sing to me because it's time to sing me. He said, I want you to rear that heart back and tell me you love me. And if you want to use a song to do it, great. If you want to use words to do it, that's great too. You can worship him with, with your voice, without music. You are the greatest ever was. That's worship. Yeah. Or you can do it with when you give. We worship when we give. Well, if I don't give, somebody will see it. You might as well put it in your pocket. You don't get no credit at all. Hmm. Sitting at the dinner table one day, the day, he said, crap, after Sunday service. Mom said, what's wrong? He said, I meant to put the $10 bill in the plate, and I put 100 in there. Little boy said, well, Daddy, you ain't getting credit for 90 because your heart only went 10 is all you wanted. <laughs> it's from the heart. Turn back to me to Psalm. Psalm 138. 
me tell you something. Well, a fellow asked me to watch something up there, watch a church service, big church. I said, all right, if it make you happy. I got up there, <clears throat> and uh, they started the thing, and the guy got up there, his little guitar around his neck. He was the worship leader. I'd call him the song leader. Got up there, he said, good morning, church. Tell me, let's worship the Lord together. Ching, ching, ching. He started playing while my guitar gently weeps. Ching, ching, ching. And I, I just turned it off. I said, I ain't watching that. He's just going through the motion. It's just Sunday, and it's time to go to church. You can tell his heart wasn't in it. He was listening. He, he, he wants to worship. He wants, I will worship you with my whole heart. But rear back with our hearts and praise him because he's worthy. Uh, <clears throat> now, I'm going to ask you a question. He's worthy of our gratitude. Let me ask you, when you come, like in private, I think worship's more important in private. If you don't, private first, public second. Yeah. When you worship in private or you talk to him in private, whatever, do you think that means something to him? Eight billion people on this planet, millions worshiping at any one time. Do you think he sees you when you worship him? Do you think it means anything to him? Let me show you one of the greatest passages in the world. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. He showed me this years ago. And it, it just caused me to realize he sees this stuff. He sees this stuff. I want you to watch. I, I can't explain this. Eight billion people. How does he watch each one of us? How can he hear every cry? How does he know what's going on in every heart? How does he know every number of every hair on every head? He's a whole lot bigger than we thought he was. All right. Watch this in Luke 17, 12. He entered a certain village. Ten men who were lepers stood far off, lifted up their voices and said, Master, have mercy on us. He saw him. He said to him, go show yourselves to the priests. What that, that didn't mean anything to me and you. If you had leprosy, leprosy is outside cancer. Cancer eats you from the inside out. Leprosy gets on your outside each end. Terrible disease. And it's, and it's communicable. So you're, hit, you're off by yourself, can't be around your family. So he sees them. They beg for mercy. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Which was illegal. You can't go near a priest with leprosy. But the law said, if by some chance you got healed of leprosy, before you can go home, you have to go see the priest and let him declare you crying. He has to examine your body. declare you. So when he said, go show yourself to the priest, they knew what that meant. And they started walking. Now watch this. It said, go show yourself to the priest. And it was as they went, there's a step of faith right there. They didn't say, well, you heal me first. Wow. They took a step of faith. There's always a step of faith you can take for him to do something for you. And they took a step of faith and they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a reverent voice. Where do we get this reverent stuff from? Read the Bible. With a loud voice, glorified God. This is embarrassing. Fell down on his face in front of his feet, giving him thanks. And he wasn't even a Christian. He was a Samaritan. So he got very emotional. One guy turned around and runs about very emotional, screaming. Falls down in front of him, thanking him, praising him. I maybe think this outburst and this scream. I maybe think this bothered. It bothered the Baptist. It bothered a lot of churches. We, we, you know, we're, demo, we're not demonstrative. It, it bothered a lot of people. You think it bothered Jesus? Watch this. Jesus answered and said, Weren't there 10 people healed? Where's the nine? There was nobody found to return to what? Give glory to God except this foreigner. He said to him, your faith has made you well. That, that display of heart affection for what he'd done for him, it didn't bother Jesus. What bothered Jesus? The ones who wouldn't do it. Here's the point. Why would God Almighty, who holds the stars in his place, why would he care whether I said thank you or not? That don't make sense to me. But you know something? It means something to him. Obviously, it means something to him. He sees it. He's touched. 
when, when I just get up every morning and say, thank you. How'd I, I got a home to live in. I had a warm bed to sleep in. I'm healthy. I got feet to stand on. I got breakfast to eat. I got somebody that loves me. Thank you. That must mean something to him. You know, and I read back and sing. That means something to him. He, he can zero in on every person. And listen, he, he is merciful. Don't worry about your mistakes. He's merciful. But just like when my children send me a note and say, thank you so much, don't that bless you as a parent? Yeah. That's what it means right here. How in the world do I, can you imagine a man like me touching the heart of God just by saying thank you for who you are and what you've done? Apparently this means something to him. So don't ever... Don't get caught up in this modern worship movement that it's who's got the greatest, who's got the hippest music, who's got the greatest voice. That's not biblical. It's heart to heart. It's, it's the heart to God. Say, thank you for all you've done for me and the great kindness you've shown me. Turn back with me to Psalm 138. I love this, a great psalm. Which, you know, David wrote 75 of the 150 psalms, and the word psalm is the Hebrew word for song. This was their songbook. I don't know if you knew this or not. From the time of Christ until 1600, no Christian church ever sang any music except the Psalms. There were no hymns. There were no contemporary. Nobody sang any. The only thing you were allowed to sing as a Christian were those 150 Psalms. This was your songbook. And then in the 1600s, a little preacher named Isaac Watts, who pastored Mark Lane Church in England, he decided he would write his own song. And he called it a what do you call it? A hymn. H-Y-M-N. And the first hymn ever written, probably the most famous hymn ever sung, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. And the church world was enraged. He was thrown out of the church. There was wars. Think of not singing, singing something beside the 150th Psalm. And hymns were just banned, and they were fought over, and people were mad about singing these, these new hymns. They called them whims. They hated them hymns. It was, it was what, what am I trying to say? I mean, it was just apostasy. Well, before long, the hymns became accepted. Along comes Andre Crouch in about 1970. And now we're fighting, but this time it's over the new ones replacing the hymns. People are funny, ain't they? Church folks are funny. But, the, but verse 2 shifts gears says this. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. The why of our worship. Why should I worship him? He didn't give me what I asked for one time. Why should I worship him? What's the two reasons we worship God in that verse? His loving kindness, his faithfulness. Amen. Second greatest mystery in all the world. Why does he love me? Why does he who hung the stars in space? Well, I don't sing to him because, fine, if I don't sing, I'll have a flat tire when my kids get sick. That's stupid. And I ain't singing because it's time to either. When these music leaders say, get your hands in the air, get your, I put mine in my pockets. You ain't telling me what to do. That's forced. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm going to worship him because I love him. Yeah. And I love him. Why do we love him? Why do we worship? Because of your loving kindness. We love, let's first John 4 said, we love him because he first loved us. I want to reach a place in my life where everything I do, no more duty. It's all out of response to his great love. If we knew how much he loved us, we'd crawl across broken glass to get to him. Amen. It's, it's so wonderful when you don't do anything out of duty. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 9 says this, nothing out of grudging obligation, but from the heart. Well, what's most religion? Better do this, you're going to be in trouble. Could you imagine me telling my wife, you better love me, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to marry me whether you like it or not. 
That ain't the way it works. He's big. Let me tell you something. He's big. He's, I mean, he's not just big, fills the universe. He's just mature, big. He's not some chintzy little guy who gets his feelings hurt. He's big. And his love is tremendous. And everything we do, I will worship him because of your loving kindness and your faithfulness. Amen. He should have dropped me 10,000 times. Guess what? He never gives up. Great, somebody, I'm going to write a song. It's going to go like this. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with you. you don't, he don't get upset. He's not finicky. He's perfect. So th- this just changes your worship. Instead of because you have to, you just delight in it and you love it. And it's just wonderful. Let me throw something in for free here. A lot of folks have argued over this verse. It said in verse 2, you have magnified your word above your name. People say, you know, that means that his word to him is actually above his name. We put his name above his word. But bottom line is this, we need to magnify his word in our lives. This word needs to get bigger to us. We need to give it first place. Number three, the power of worship. This is the secret hidden of worship in verse three. In the day when I cried out, and he's not talking about whining, he's talking about in worship. In the day when I cried out, God did something. What did he do? You answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. What does the Bible say here? One of the reasons we worship is when we begin to worship God, I mean from the heart and cry out to him in worship, the Holy Spirit does something in us. And he strengthens us and brings boldness in. You ever heard this? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart. You begin to praise God and worship God, you just feel the Spirit of God rise up inside of you. This is, this is the great promise of the Lord. We, you know, in 2 Timothy 1.7, we looked at that two weeks ago, and then last Wednesday, when he said, stir up the gift of God that's within you. How do you do it? I will worship you with my whole heart. Now, there's two, great, there's two very important times to worship God. Number one, when you feel like it. And there are times we feel like it, ain't there? What's the second time? When you don't feel like it. That's when that's the most important time to do it. We have got to learn to walk by faith and quit waiting. If you're going to wait on a feeling, the bus is going to leave you. Get on the bus by faith. And let me tell you, when you worship, you just read back and worship him with all your heart. It, it's just sort of like, have, ain't y'all got, ain't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say ain't in your fancy church. Don't y'all have things that stir you up? Don't you have things that excite you? Man, certain people get to doing things and I, it just sort of gets me excited. Well, the Holy Spirit of God loves the Father. And he loves Jesus. You begin to worship, he goes, he'll start patting his foot to start with. Then all of a sudden, he'll get to tapping his side. And then before long, he'll get right in there with you. And then you just have a Holy Ghost explosion on the inside. (laughs) And the day when I cried out to you, you strengthened me. And made me bold with strength in my soul. The Bible talks about weakness. Listen, we we need to worship our way to strength. This is why it's so important to have private worship. Private worship. It's too long from Sunday to Wednesday for me. Yeah. Now, we don't sing long enough in here to get me started up. I'm like that old Studebaker. It takes a while. <laughs> we need to have private worship. You just need to find you a, rent you a barn. Get out behind it and wallow you out of place and holler and shout till the glory of God gets all over you. Yeah. We're so intellectual. We've gotten away from the Spirit of God in our churches, and we've forgotten that you stir the Spirit up by worshiping Jesus. Jailhouse Rock. Y'all ever heard that song? I'm not talking about Elvis. I'm talking about the original one in Acts chapter 16. (laughs) Paul and Silas arrested, sitting in jail, hurting, dark. I mean, it was brutal, unnecessary, illegal, pain, sitting in raw sewage, dirty jail floor. At midnight, 
They were praying and singing hymns to God. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. And I thought, would I be able to do that? You know what? I should, what else would you do? Where are you going? They got you locked down. They just read back, started singing, and the Bible said the whole jail started shaking. Everybody's chains fell off. The doors flew open. Do you, are you? Come on, Stevie Wonder. Can you see it? Don't you see that the passionate worship of God in difficult times is what breaks Satan's hold off your life? Yeah. Can't you see it? Actually, what happened was they got to singing, and it was so good. And I think God got to patting his foot. And he's so big, when he pats his foot, the whole place started just shaking and rocking like that, and it just fell apart. We had to get back to true heart worship. I'm going to show you something wild. Verse 4, this is the promise of future worship. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Well, I'm going to tell you something. They ain't praising him right now. Matter of fact, the praise of God globally is at an all-time low. Worship is at an all-time low in our nation, not in some countries, but in ours, and in the the civilized countries of the world. You know, them ignorant, backwards countries, they're praising God and trusting him right now. But let me tell you what the Bible says. Every king on this planet is going to worship God one day. Hold, hold your finger. Turn me to Philippians chapter 2. This is one of the greatest promises. I've shown this to people. It makes them mad. And they say, I will not. I say, you look right here in this book. You will too. Today's an opportunity to do it by the free will from the heart. There's going to come a day. Heart days are going to be over. Philippians chapter 2. This is where it talks about Jesus in all of his glory humbled himself. He was God Almighty, but he gave himself to sinful men. Let them strip his clothes off him beat him beyond recognition, hang him on a cross, totally naked in front of his enemies, making fun of him. That's called the humiliation of Jesus. He chose to do that. Now, what's God going to do for him because he chose to humble himself? That's in verses 1 through 8. Verse, I mean, 1 through 11. Verse 12 says that therefore, excuse me, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those in hell. And every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he humbled himself and died on the cross, there's going to come a day when every tongue that was ever planted in every mouth is going to worship him and praise him. Whether from heaven, earth, or hell, all the kings will praise him one day. Well, guess what I decided to do? I ain't waiting until then. I'm just going to go ahead and get an early start. What do you think? I'm going to get ahead of the curve. I've had people say, I don't believe in that worship. You will one day. Everybody going to one day. So I don't worship your God. Yes, you're going to one day. Does that sound cocky to you? I didn't write it. I'm going to tell you something. I want him to be exalted in the earth. And he's worthy of our praise. That's the promise of future worship. Now, I want you to listen to this. Oh, I love this verse. I love them all. Verse 5. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. Watch these words. Great is the glory of the Lord. You know why we should worship him? Because of how great his glory is. This is about the glory of the one we worship. Dear ones, our God don't need to grow any bigger. He needs to grow bigger in our eyes. Mm -hmm. I've listened to people and I've told them before they get done, I've just told them, you need a new God. Because you can't handle it. And your, your God's too small. I love this verse when it says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor and how big your majesty is. I'm going to give you just one example. The Bible talks about the glory. Where's the first place you see the glory of God? In the Bible, according to the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Romans 1 said the first place you see the glory of God is where? Nature. 
He said, the first place I've shown myself to you is nature. Psalm 19, what? I love Psalm 19. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. You ever looked up and seen the stars and all that? What's that there for? The glory of God. That Psalm 19 goes on to say there's not a language anywhere that he hadn't shown himself to people through the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. Are, are they, did he create the heavens and the earth? The Bible said in Psalm verse 8, said the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars are the work of your fingers. You know how big that is up there? Let me go off for just a second here. We live on a planet called earth. earth. Okay, that was an easy one. We live on a planet called earth and it's a ball of dirt. 23,000 miles around the center. That's how big our ball is, 23,000 miles. This ball sets 92.7 million miles from a star we call the sun. 92 million, 92.7 million miles. This ball called Earth orbits that sun in a 365-day circle exactly once a year. How fast is it moving? 64,000 miles an hour. So how come we don't feel it? Gravity. Now that sun that we go around <clears throat> is 109 times the size of the earth. You ever like seen, you know how bright the sun is? You know how it's bright? The, earth, the sun is not solid. The sun is plasma. It's made up of helium gas plasma. And it burns at <clears throat> 27,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It burns through 600,000 tons of hydrogen every second. And that light travels 92,000, the heat light travels 92 million miles to get to us. Not only that, that ball that we're sitting on, you ever notice how this, I don't know if you can feel it, or y'all feel this right now? That ball spins as it's in rotation. It spins around and around every 24 hours. It spins just a little slower, about 960 miles an hour. And the reason you don't feel that again is gravity. <clears throat> The reason that ball spins around and around like that, by the way, 92.7 million miles from the sun, guess why it's that far away? That's the exact distance it has to be from the sun to sustain human life. Mm. A few miles closer, everything on this earth is a deep fry. Yeah. A few miles further away, deep freeze. 92.7 million miles is the exact distance we have to be from the sun to sustain life. You know why it turns on that axis every 24 hours at 960 miles an hour? That's the exact rotation it has to make to keep the temperature even on the earth to sustain life. Mm. Not only that, as it makes that circle around the sun, the very, our, our earth has a top and a bottom. They're called the north and the south pole. We have a point called the pole. And that's the very dead top, very dead bottom. And that pole, it, it's on an axis. And that pole, on a certain day in January, it's tilted exactly 23 degrees away from the sun. On a set day in January... This earth stops tilting one direction and all of a sudden, for no reason, starts tilting the other direction. And it moves across that arc for six months until it's exactly 23 degrees tilted toward the sun. And then on a set day in June, that North Pole stops on its own, turns around, starts going in the other direction, back to 23 degrees away from the sun. And it does that twice a year. Why does it have to do that? That's the exact tilt needed of the earth to grow crops from top to the bottom of the earth, all the way across so it can feed and sustain life on the planet. Tell me there ain't no God. Tell me that came out of an explosion. <laughs> you look up, the Bible said, the stars are the work of your hands. They declare the glory of the Lord. What's the closest star to us? Closest star to us, not Alpha Centuria, that's the group. It's, it's uh, Proxima Centuria. 
4.2 light years away. You know how far that is? That's the closest star you can look up. So I, look out, I love to watch stars tonight. We live in country and see them. The closest star, 4.2 light years away. Well, light travels at 168,000 miles a second. You think light's fast. Go in a dark room tonight, flip that switch, see how quick it gets to the eye. 168,000 miles a second. It would take light 4.2 years at 168,000 miles a second to get to the closest star. In other words, 6, 12, 24 plus trillion miles away. And I can look up there like a flashlight. That's the closest star to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. Somebody should write a song that goes like this. Oh, Lord, my God, when I'm awesome, what a consult all the worlds your hand has made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. What's your natural response to such power and majesty? Then sings my soul. How you great, how great thou art. That's why it says we worship him. How great is the glory of the Lord. We didn't reduce him down to some senile old grandpa. He holds the stars in place. That's my daddy. That's my father. That's the one we worship because of his great glory and the majesty. Uh, just our little brains cannot fathom the glory of God. The fellow asked me, he said, where did he come from? I said, he always has been. I could see his little head trying to work that out. I just said, don't bother. How are you going to compute eternity right. to eternity? I'll tell you one better than that. Well, I don't know if it's better than that. Right along with it. We talk about the mercy of the Lord. Is eternal? No, Psalm 130, excuse me, 103 says, the kindness of God toward you and his knowing you is from eternity to eternity. He knew you before eternity. You say, how far back is that? Don't try to figure that out. Before time, before the world began, Titus says, he had plans for you. Don't try to figure that out. His love for me is from eternity to eternity. And I'm, I can't even find my car keys. Great. I, what, what can you do except worship somebody like that? God have mercy. He did. Thank him for his goodness and his grace. Now, I want to show you the greatest mystery I've ever seen in my life. This is the great mystery. This is my favorite verse. The great mystery of the one we worship. In verse 6 says this. Though the Lord is on high. How many of you know that's on high? In other words, he's exalted. He's wonderful. How many of you know the Lord is on high? Yet he regards the lowly. This is the greatest mystery of my life. Why does somebody that big, that perfect, that majestic, why does he give a hoot about me? You know, regard means concern for. Though the Lord is on high, he is concerned about the lowly. He cares about the One of my favorite verses, Psalm chapter 8, verse 2 says, When I consider the work of your fingers and your hand, the sun, the moon, and the stars, then I ask, what is man that you are so obsessed with him? Can't you just hear an angel say that? He sees the, the angels know the majesty of God. They were there in creation. They see how big he is, how wonderful he is, and they look at him and say, why do you care about them stubborn people? What is man that you... Why are you so concerned about them fools? What is man that you are concerned with him? This will be, you'll never answer this. Why does he care about me? Furthermore than that, care about me. Why would he strip his son naked and beat him and nail him to a cross for me? This is, what is, that, though you are on high, yet you care about the lowly. You regard the lowly. 
This will always be the greatest mystery of my life. I wouldn't give me the time of day the way I acted. <laughs> but the highest of the universe gave me the time of day, gave me his son. This is the great, great mystery of the universe. Now, this, there is one of the secrets of life, and we are missing it in this nation. It's right here in this verse. And this is where the church gets dumped upside down. I want you to read with me. Verse 6, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. There is one thing he loves above everything else. It's not your talent. Did it say, the Lord, though the Lord is on high, yet he has concern for the perfect, the polished, the religious, the lowly. There's one thing he loves above everything else. What is it? Humility. Humility is his thing. You want to draw him to you, wrap yourself in humility. What's the one thing? Now, see, we, what, what do we put the worst there is? What do we say is the worst? Child molestation. He puts pride as worse than child molestation. He said, well, that doesn't make sense to us. Well, you ain't him. What do you think it means? My thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't think alike. But if there's one thing he will not buy, what is it? Pride. What's America rife with right now? This is one of the great truths of the universe. The Bible talks about over and over about the things that God delights in. He don't delight in you dancing for him or performing for him. What does he delight in? But to this one I will look who is of a humble and broken spirit. Yeah. The humility. Now what humility is not when you grovel along and act like a nobody. That's stupidity. Yeah. That's actually inverted pride. You're trying to impress people. Humility is simply, I need you. Yeah. I need you. I can't do anything without you. What did David say over and over? I, Alice and Paul, we was talking one day. We love to discuss scholarship stuff. I love to just mess her up and fool with her. And she said, well, if you, if you say you're humble, you're not. I said, you think so? She said, why'd you say that? She said, I've heard all my life, if you think you're humble, you're not. I said, uh, who's the humblest man in the Bible? She said, Moses. I said, move to the front of the line. You got that one right. I said, where'd you learn that at? She said, isn't it in the Bible? I said, yeah, you, you teach. Tell me where it's at. I said, it's in the book of Numbers where the Bible said Moses is the humblest man that ever lived. She said, that's right. She said, it was Moses. I said, who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. Moses. She said, I never thought about that. I said, that's why you got me here. <laughs> if you read through the Psalms, what did David say with his mouth and in the Psalms over and over? I am humble. I am humble. I am humble. If you're humble, humble doesn't mean that you're nobody. Humble means I am needy. I am needy. Actually, your Bible probably reads like this. I am poor and needy. Over and over in the Psalms, he said, they mock me. I am poor and needy. And then I'm humble. I need God. And if you'll read the Psalms over and over, his great writing, here's what you say. You have, if you don't help me, I'm dead. If you don't help me, I won't make it. There's, I've heard before, I've heard this all my life. It's nonsense. The Lord helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. It's hogwash. That's Granny's Bible. You need to throw Granny's Bible away and get your own Bible. Get God's Bible. Get holy. Make sure it's got holy written in the Holy Bible. The Bible says the Lord helps those who can't help themselves and admit it. God's got his office at the end of your rope. And when you get to the end of your rope, that's where you'll find him at. And there's a sign on the door, and the door says hope. I like it right there. But it's, it's the need of humility. Now, now let, me, let me help you. We're going to throw this in for free to help you all right here. You need help on this. Matter of fact, we're, we're, uh, turn a few pages to the right to Proverbs chapter 6. I do as I want to show you. You need to read this list. It's a list of seven things. 
The Bible talks about God loves some things, but there's a list in the Bible of things he hates. When I heard years ago there was a list in the Bible of things he hates, I said, I'm going to read that list and find out what he hates, and I'm going to get rid of them. And you know what I found out? He liked the church folks. You know what church folks hate? Drinking. Smoking. Floozies. You know what a floozy is? You, you old people do. The church hates all the... As a matter of fact, I remember... I can remember people just going off on me because of us singing what they called that devil contemporary Christian music. The Bible says he likes it. Am I going to go with the Bible or the church secretary? Who am I going to obey? Deacons. Deacons need to buy Bibles. Don't get deacons for all the Bibles. Bibles for all the, not ours. Our, our deacons know better. Anyway, verse 16 of Proverbs 6. These six things the Lord hates, seven are an absolute abomination to him. What's the first thing he mentions? Not child molestation, not murder. What is it? Cockiness. A proud look. Actually, the Hebrew word is cocky eyes, haughty eyes. There was this one thing he can't bite, and that's pride. Let me ask you a question. It's the first sin ever in the history of the universe. It wasn't when Eve disobeyed God. There was one before that. What was it? Satan, the chief archangel, who was a chief archangel. There's three of them. When he was obsessed with his beauty, and the Bible said he was impressed with himself because of how beautiful he was, and he was swollen up with pride. And his pride got him thrown out of heaven and thrown into the earth. And that's always been his favorite tool, is pride. More people will go to hell over pride than over drugs, alcohol, all that other nonsense. The dangerous thing about pride is simply this. We won't take time to look at it. Let me quote to you Luke 18. This dumps religion on its head. I wish somebody taught me the Bible when I first went to church. Two men went into church to pray. One was a minister, the other was a crook. What comes to mind? What's that crook doing going into church to pray? We understand why the minister prays. Why is the crook going in there? Jesus said two men went into the temple to pray. One was a minister, one was a crook. And the minister prayed this prayer. Father, I thank you that I'm better than other people. Thank you that I'm not like other men. I give tithes of all that I earn. I give you money. I fast twice a week. I don't fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. I keep every one of your rules. And he said, I thank you that I'm not an adulterer, a swindler, or even like that crook over there. Now, let me ask you a question. Did he tell a lie? No. He was much better than other people. You want to argue? He went to church every Sunday. He paid tithes. That wasn't the problem. And the Bible said that the crook would not lift his eyes toward heaven, but beat on his chest and cried out, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus said this. You listen to this. Jesus said the crook went to heaven. The preacher went to hell. Man, I read that and I thought, I'm going to get out of this ministry stuff. <laughs> and then it wasn't, it wasn't that one, it wasn't, he didn't go because he was a crook or go to hell because he was a minister. Then the Bible says this. Everyone who raises himself up in pride will be put down. But everyone who humbles himself before God will be raised up. What's the, listen, if you want help from heaven, what's the one thing you have to do? Don't promise to do better. Tell him you can't. This is right up my alley. Don't try to quit anything. You get on your knees and tell him, I got to have your help or I'm not going to make it. I need your help. And that's why the Bible said that though the Lord is on high, yet he bends down toward the who? Those who don't make mistakes, the humble. Those who will humble themselves. Now, let me throw this real quick. One more thing, real quick. <clears throat> you want him to smile on you, humble yourself. Why is pride so dangerous? It's the most dangerous thing there is in the universe. Why is it so dangerous? Think about this. Why is pride so dangerous? I maybe know if, like, if I get cooked on drugs, I'll probably, like, know it. 
How many of you would know if you were doing drugs? I mean, you may argue that it's okay, but you'd know if you was doing it. How many of you, if you run off with your secretary or run off with some woman or some man, how many of you would know it if you ran off? I mean, it's wrong, but you'd know it, wouldn't you? How many of you murdered somebody, you think you'd probably know it? What's wrong with pride? It blinds you and you don't know you're in it. That's why it's so dangerous. You can't see it. Over and over in the Bible, Jesus said that pride blinds people. And the Pharisees, who were this, their great sin was their arrogance and pride. They said, are we blind? Jesus said, if you weren't blind, you wouldn't have any sin. And it's the blinding effect of a spirit of pride. That's why that thing scares me to death. I, I run from it above everything else. But now let me help you. We've got somebody help us with this pride thing. Who's that? The fruit of the Spirit is humility. The Holy Spirit was given, and His job is to keep me humble before God and to keep me from getting so cocky. That's why I love the first hymn ever written said this, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. How could I be proud when I stand there and see God dying for me? It just pours your pride to the ground, which is where it should be. By the way, one of the best things ever happened is get your pride just laid right in the dust. God, I love it. It feels terrible and then it feels so good. I mean, it's, it's just like, it's just so wonderful. It stings going down, but it's precious coming up. I love to help people with their pride. I do. My goodness. Dear ones, it's your choice. Choose pride, you'll be humbled. Choose humility, he'll raise you up. They used to have these meetings years ago, preachers' meetings. Everybody would come up here, and they wouldn't tell you who's going to preach. The head of them, he'd just call you right off the floor, say, you come preach right now. Big, big crowds out there. And uh, called a little young fellow one time, and he strutted up there. He, was, he thought, I must be great. Young guy like me getting called up there. He went up there, and it, it was awful, awful. And he, he, you know, he knew he'd missed it, and it was terrible. He went and sat back down. His head was down. He was so disappointed. And old, uh, what was the preacher's name? Old preacher came and said, I said, son, son. If you'd have gold up like you come down, you'd have come down like you gold up. I thought, that's a trick right there. <laughs> Dear ones, if you'll humble yourself, he will raise you up. But if you raise yourself up, he's going to bring you down. I, don't, well, I didn't mean to get off on all that. That's why we worship the Lord in humility. God is my witness. One of the reasons people don't want to worship God is they're afraid they'll look stupid in front of people. That's a serious problem right there. That's a serious problem. I'm like King David. I want to look stupider. Well, more humble. I got the stupid thing down pad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The con- Psalm 138. We got we to let you all out here. Psalm 138. I love this stuff. Now, dear ones, let me tell you something. There's one thing that worship will do for you. You just become a heart worshiper of God. Let me tell you what it'll do. It'll cause your faith in him to grow. I don't know how this works. I can't explain it, but it does. You passionately worship with your heart. It'll cause such confidence to grow inside of you. This was the greatest worshiper that ever lived. I want you to look at what he said. How many of you may have troubles in life? How many of you might run into some bumps down the road? You going to make it through them? This is why worship is so important. Look at me in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Now, why didn't he just take his faith and say, I'll never have any trouble? Because anybody with a lick of sense knows that's a lie. We're all going to have trouble. Though I walk in the midst of trouble... You will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. What's that called right there? That's the confidence that comes. When you become a heart worshiper of God, you just know there ain't nothing going to happen to mess me up. He'll take care of me. He'll care for me. The word through is very important. I want to show you something. Turn to Isaiah chapter 43. 
I quote this verse regular. This is, this is such a wonderful verse. This will help you sleep through the storm. Anybody ever been in a storm? This will help you sleep through the storm. Our Heavenly Father's goal is not to get us out of trouble. It's to get His glory in us through trouble. I want you to look at this verse. Matter of fact, you need to mark this, write it down on you. Write it on your arm, memorize it tomorrow. But now, behold now, verse Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Now, what's that tell me right there? The man made me. I need to listen to him. Fear not. What I tell you all the other day, over 300 times in the Bible, it says fear not. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I called you by your name. You are mine. Now, what's his promise? When you pass through the rough waters, I'll be there. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor will the flame scorch you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sibia in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. What do you say right there? You're going to go through some things, but you're going to go through them. You're not going to stay in them. And when you walk through the rough waters, I'm going to be right there. Amen. And when you walk through the fire, it is not going to burn you. What does that remind you of? The book of Daniel. They throwed them boys. Throwed them boys. My English teacher friend is going to kill me. They threw those boys in the fire because they loved God. And guess what? They looked down there and said, how come they're walking down that fire? And who's that fourth guy, the real shiny one? Who's he down there? They came back out. The Bible said they weren't burnt. It said they didn't even smell like smoke. I love that right there. Why are we crying about difficult times? Let me make an announcement. Tough times are coming. But a tough Savior is going to be on the scene. We need to memorize this passage right here. He said, I never promised to keep you out of trouble. I promised to walk through you with it. And I promised you that the flame will not kindle against you. It's not going to burn you. Listen to this great verse. Yea, though I get stuck, stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> is that what it says? Then though I walk through Bless God, I might be going through some things, but I'm coming out the other side, and I'm not going to smell like smoke, and I'm going to be praising him even more. I've decided to praise my way through the messes. Praise God, bless his holy name. And if it don't do nothing else, it'll aggravate the hell out of the devils hanging around me. They can stick it in their ear. They're going to hear worship regards. I probably shouldn't have said that in church. This is the great A worshiper's got this confidence that no matter what happens, he will be with me. I'll go through the fire. All right, one more. We've got to quit. One more. Turn back to Psalm 138. Y'all listen fast. Psalm 138. Now, I'm going to give you a promise. Don't you ever forget it. I heard a preacher say not long ago, one of the dumbest things I ever heard. Where's our confidence in this great God? Religion teaches us to have confidence in ourselves. That's nonsense. Your confidence needs to be in the creator of the universe. Let me tell you what this preacher said. He said, bro, he was trying to act spiritual. He didn't impress me one bit. I told him. He said, Brother Brian, I prayed to God that one day before I commit adultery to run off with another woman, God will just kill me. I said, that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. I said, you're trying to be humble, but you're just being stupid. I said, you don't know the Bible at all, do you? Isn't that one of the dumbest prayers you ever prayed? I bet you when he's running off with her, he hopes you don't remember that. What do you reckon? Why would you pray something? Where is your God? Who is your great God that can protect you? Let me tell you something. We need to quit worrying about us messing up. We need, to do, we need to have faith in God. All right, let's read this great verse, last one. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. I am not going to perfect it. He's going to do it. The word perfect there, of course, means the word complete. I've got to make an announcement. The same Jesus that started this thing in me, he'll finish it. I'm not, 
I'm not hanging on. He's hanging on to me. Let me, make, let me give you some truth on this. Psalm Philippians 1 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. You're not hanging on to him. He's hanging on to you. He's got more invested in you than you do in him. I love, all right, I got to show you this. I said, oh, one more, one more. Hebrews chapter 12. Don't you forget this. You know, I hear preachers all the time talking about watching, well, these preachers are falling. I hope it don't happen to me. You need to get off that mess. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Bible says, I'm just going to quote to you out of the book of Jude. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I got news for you. I'm not going to keep me from falling. Jesus is going to keep me from falling. I love this. I'm going to teach you something right here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, uh, do, do do what you're supposed to be doing in life. Do run your call. Verse two, looking unto Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Why are our eyes on us? Get your eyes off yourself. Ain't, I'm that, you're not going to be impressed with you. Watch this. The author and finisher of our faith. I wasn't looking for God. He came looking for me. I didn't know there was a God on the earth, and if there was, I didn't want nothing to do with him. I was a hell-raising teenager. He came and found me and drug me into the kingdom, thank God. He's the author. He started Guess who's going to finish it? I'm not going to finish it. Jesus is the finisher of my faith. Now, let me show you something real cool. Verse 3. The Bible says this, Get you, keep the focus of your life on Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged. You hear that right there? Your father does not want you discouraged. He don't want you living discouraged and he don't want you wore out. If he, if he wanted you, why did he put this in here if he didn't want you discouraged and wore out? What did he say? You get your eyes on Jesus, you trust him and don't get discouraged. I think discouragement is a great tool that we're dealing with today. The great promises, let me throw in one more, Romans chapter 8. He predestined me. He knew me before time began to be conformed to the image of his son. And I'm going to quote this great verse to you, verse 29 of Romans 8. Whom he predestined, he called. I wasn't looking for God. He found me. Whom he called, I bowed my head, he justified. I didn't save myself. Guess what we call people who save themselves? Lost. Listen to this. Whom he, whom he justified, he glorified. He knew me before time began. He touched my heart and drew me to himself. He cleansed my heart and saved my soul and wrote my name in heaven. And he's going to make me just like Jesus and finish what he started. That's the great promise. That's what it means in Psalm 138.8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. You just look at him when you pray. Lord, I'm trying to hang in there. Jesus, help me. I'm trying to hang in there. Knock that mess off. Rear back and roll your arms up there and say, Thank you that you will perfect that which concerns me. Put your confidence in him. Trust him to do what he said he'd do. I'm going to paint you a picture here. Years ago, the U.S. Army was experimenting with dirigibles. Y'all know what dirigibles are? I don't either. Airships. It was experimenting with airships. You know, had the Hinden- Germany beat us with the Hindenburg. And these giant airships, them things make me nervous. Anything you can't smoke in makes me nervous. I got them things that float around up there. You know, like the, the Goodyear blimp. Y'all seen that thing before, hadn't you? I walked through and that sucker was parked right there at our airport. I don't know what he's doing. I guess he ran out of gas. Well, he ain't got no gas in them things. Anyway, he was stopped over at the airport. And, uh, but the U.S. Army was experimenting with them things when they came out. Could they use them, you know, in the war effort and whatnot? This World War, right before World War II. And uh, no, World War I, experiment with them things. And they were at an Army base, secret deal, they're working with them. And they had about 100 soldiers holding that sucker down as they were inflating it. And they had ropes all around the thing, and these soldiers were going to hold it, and they're inflating that thing. Well, somebody didn't do the engineering correctly. 
And that thing had more up than they had soldiers holding it. And that thing just lifted right off the ground. Them soldiers trying to hang on to them ropes. Well, some of them had enough sense to let go, quick. Some of them didn't have enough sense to let go. Because you know when the sergeant says, hold that thing. So this thing's lifting up in the air. Some of them let go and fell down and broke legs. A couple of them got killed. One guy held on. That thing went all the way up in space. Not space, you know, but way up in the air. And one guy holding on, they, they could see him way up there hanging on. They wondered, how's he hanging on to that thing? And he just stayed up there. Thought, he got to let go sometime. He can't stay up there forever. And it was the longest time. I don't know how they did it. Probably got the Russians to come shoot it down. I don't know what they did. But they lowered that thing back down. He just landed right back down on the ground. And they asked him, said, how did you hang on that long? He said, I wouldn't hang on to that thing. He said, when I saw what was happening, I knew I couldn't hang on. He said, I just sensed that thing around my arm, reached down behind me and run that thing under my arms and sensed that knot and just dropped. I wasn't hanging on. That thing was hanging on to me. I couldn't have fell. I heard that. I said, praise God, all these Christians trying to hang on to Jesus and hang on to the end and hang in there to the bitter end. Son, I'd unwrap myself in the grace of God. He's holding me. If he falls, I'm falling with him. That's what it means. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Quit having faith in yourself and have faith in God. Trust him to do what he said he'd do. Now listen, if you're, ner- if you're trying to hang on in there, you can't worship like that. You're too nervous. But when you realize you're in my hand and my father's, this is John chapter 10, my father's hand's over my hand. They ain't, I don't have to hang on. They ain't nothing left to do with my hands. They ain't nothing to hang on to. I'll just worship him and praise him. Just hold him up there. Might as well praise God if he's going to do all that. We need to turn our worrying into worshiping and watch what he does with it. The wor- he's worthy of our worship. Let's, 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 let's practice. You want to practice? Let's yeah. practice. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your goodness. We just magnify your name and give you the praise and glory. This puny little brain, my little mind cannot comprehend that the creator of the universe, I mean 26 trillion miles just between two stars, and the creator of the universe who said, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where's the house you could build for me? Then when I say, dad, your word says you lean toward me. The Lord hath inclined to my prayer. The greatest mystery in the world that you would listen to me. I want to praise you and thank you. You owe me nothing. I've earned nothing except the hottest corner of hell. But you've given me everything in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And I want to praise you and bless you and thank you. Father, somebody ought to write a song called Amazing Grace. I pray we not be around this goodness so long that it's not amazing anymore. I want this grace to always shock us. I want the goodness of God to always stun us. I want to thank you and praise you for your kindness and worship you. Worshiping you is my favorite thing to do, whether it's spoken, whether it's me singing in private, whether it's in prayer, whether it's out in nature, when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. I want to praise you because of the kindness of God and bless your name. I thank you that the only eternal practice on this earth right now is the praise of the living God. And I thank you that one day every knee will bow on this planet and in heaven and in hell and declare Jesus is Lord and give him glory. We're going to get ahead of the curve, Jesus. We're going to start today. Praise your name. Thank you that for all of eternity we'll be saying thank you for your goodness. And the moment our eyes see what you plan, take our breath away. But until then, till we see everything, we're going to worship you and praise you. I pray for heart worship like David. I pray for every person in this room. At heart level, not wondering what other people think and not to impress anybody, not because their voice is good, because their heart is blessed. From the heart, I trust you for that. 
Let Jesus be glorified forevermore. In his priceless, precious, wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen.